Bibles, please, to Titus. And let's go to the third chapter. Paul is wrapping it up, so we will too. And uh, if you are of a certain age, you can remember when there were no 24-hour news channels on TV. <laughs> you can remember when there was an earthquake in Zimbabwe and you didn't hear about it for two weeks. You can remember when you would go to your grandparents' house and grandpa would say, turn on the news. It's kind of funny. Uh, when I went to my grandparents' house, we didn't dominate the TV like my grandkids seemed to at my house. And grandpa would say, turn on the news. And you know what grandpa watched? The CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Yeah. And I remember seeing him and listening to him. He had that distinctive voice. Did you know at one time he was voted as the most trusted man in America? As it turns out, finding more about him politically and all of that, I agreed with very, very little about Mr. Cronkite. But that was back in the days when news at least appeared to be a little bit more unbiased, didn't it? And they only had 30 minutes in the evening. And you'd watch the news and that's pretty much what you got. And do you remember how he always closed his broadcast? <laughs> that was good. You did it. Was that Rick? That was good. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And then he would give the day. I thought about that as I read what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3 beginning at verse 12. But I'm changing the phrase to that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. In our lives today there's way, way too much individuality. There has to be some. You don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you don't do that as a group. That's an individual thing. Uh, no one else can uh, be sanctified for you. You have to be individually sanctified, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that type of thing. You have certain burdens that you are supposed to bear. I know Galatians chapter 6 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's true. That's a, that's a group thing. That's our body uh, responsibility, our church responsibility. But a couple of verses later it says, every man must bear his own load. There are some things other people can help you with. There are some things you're just going to have to carry yourself. There are some things other people have to carry themselves. It's kind of like a soldier's backpack when they're on a march. You carry your own backpack. You carry your own weapon. And uh, some of that is necessary in the Christian life as well according to Galatians 6 there are times when we help each other there are times when we walk alone take responsibility for ourselves and uh, walk with God and carry that burden uh, we understand those kind of things but how many times do you really see a church or the people of God functioning in the peace and in the harmony that God designed uh, when I was a kid, my dad insisted that I learn how to drive a standard transmission before I could drive anything else. And his reasoning was, if you can drive this, you can drive anything. Not too many years ago, I was with my dad in Arkansas, and we were working on something at one of my uncle's places, and my cousin's uh, big, big, huge tractor was in the way. And I just climbed up the ladder, got in, started up the tractor, put it in gear, and I moved it. And my dad goes, you knew how to move that thing? And I said, if you've driven one tractor, you've driven them all. And uh, just kind of joked like that. And I said, by the way, you're the one that told me if I could drive a standard, I could drive anything. And that pretty much was true. But do you remember those of you, how many of you have driven a standard transmission? Let me see your hands. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, do you remember those times when you first started trying to drive it and you had to figure out how much do I let out on the clutch because if you do too much it con 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 and it dies right uh, so you have to give it a little more gas how many remember what that was like when you and then you let out on the clutch it took a while to figure that out 
and then shifting the gears. You know, sometimes if you uh, didn't do it right, the gears would grind. I read uh, earlier this week in Romans, it says that the universe is groaning under the curse of sin. And I listened to a preacher preaching on that, and he said, the universe is grinding its gears because of the curse of sin. You and I can't hear it, but if we could hear it, the testimony of the stars, of the planets, of the atmosphere on our own earth, of the trees and the grass, there's a grinding of gears, there's a clash that is going on because of the curse of sin. Hasn't always been that way. Before that uh, curse happened, the universe and the earth and nature, it wasn't groaning under sin. It was singing the praises of God. And there was a harmony about it. When we think about all of this, we think about how God has planned and made this earth and the universe to do what David said, the heavens declare the glories of God, but without the clashing and the grinding of gears. And that even applies to the lives of humanity. There's a lot of groaning that is going on today. Groaning among the unredeemed. They can't help it. <clears throat> Their gears are indeed grinding. But even among the people of God, it happens to us from time to time. Things get out of sorts. They get out of order. Sometimes we give it a little too much gas and not enough clutch. Sometimes we give it a little too much clutch and not enough gas. Sometimes we kind of jerk along trying to get going. Sometimes our gears grind. And then there are other times when it seems to be very smooth. And this is one of those times we're reading about today when it seems to be smooth. It seems to be in harmony. And it's the kind of thing that I want to talk about today. I wish what we're talking about in Titus 3 at the end, I wish that was how you could describe your home. I wish it described the church. It should. I wish it described neighborhoods and communities. I wish it described the way that governments function. Sometimes when you read books about what goes on behind the scenes in a government, you realize there's a whole lot more competition, there's a whole lot more rivalry, there's a whole lot more personal agenda than we might think or than we might like to admit. If you have ever been in the military, you know that that's true. Not everything is done for the cause. Not everything is done to make things run smoothly. A lot of times it's done in order to avoid a reprimand or to get credit that might lead to a promotion and further your career. There's a lot of individuality. And that happens sometimes in the church. A friend of mine had a church that... Uh, when he became the pastor, he looked it over and he noticed that the steeple on top of the church was leaning quite a bit. And it was unpainted and it was kind of ugly. And he uh, got some men together and said, we need to do something about that. And one of them said, oh no, that's in memory of, of uh, several of our grandpas. You know what he said to him? He looked up there and he goes, you didn't think much of him, did you? And they looked around and they said... Okay, what do we need to do to get it fixed and painted? You know, there are those times when we do things for the praise of men. We do things in honor of people. We do things and uh, we do it for recognition and for glory. And we do it and we hold on to it as our own turf. And nobody better sit in my spot. Nobody ever try to take my class. Nobody ever try to do my ministry. Nobody ever try to change anything. And churches get into great turmoil and people get into personal turmoil over those kind of things. As you've grown older, has anything about the way you celebrate family time at Christmas, has it changed? And did you always like the change? Some changes might have been good. As you got older, maybe you said, well, maybe paper plates aren't so bad. And uh, you might see that as a good thing. Somebody else might be bristling over it. It may be that you uh, decided no longer to give gifts to everybody and somebody said, praise the Lord for that. Our family's getting so big, we can't afford it. There may be somebody else who doesn't like it because they're not getting your gift that you gave. You might be a good gift giver and now they're missing out on it and they're not always happy about it. There are all kinds of things 
to argue about, all kinds of things to groan about. There are all kinds of things to where we wonder why we don't get ahead, but if we could listen with spiritual ears, we would hear that the gears are grinding. Something's not moving us ahead smoothly the way that it ought to. And Paul gives us some idea in here about the way it ought to be. Now, sometimes we may say, oh, if we could just be the early church. Let me just go on record as a pastor saying, I'm not signing up for the church at Corinth. That was the early church. That was horrible, worse than anything I've ever faced. Uh, like, no thank you, I don't want to be a part of that. Because they had their problems too. And sometimes we see glimpses of when it worked well and worked really, really well. The very beginning of the book of Acts, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. Then it tells us after that that they continued steadfastly, remember? In the apostles' doctrine, and there wasn't any dispute about that. In fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. And everybody said, oh, that's the way we do it. Let's just do it that way. They didn't have any other uh, idea of how church ought to go. Oh, okay, that's what we do. I love new Christians. When you uh, tell them something, they go, oh, is that, is that what we're supposed to do? Yeah, okay. And they just go in. They don't know any better. But after all of these years, we all have our own ideas and our own thoughts of what ought to be done and what we ought to do and what other people ought to do. And our gears begin to grind, don't they? And we don't make the progress. I mean, it's astounding to me. We have bigger churches now in the United States of America than we have ever had. At the same time, even lost people in polls think that our nation is not headed in the right direction. And on that... We would agree, wouldn't we? And so we look at these things and we go, what's happening? And I think we need to get back to the way it ought to be. And that's going to mean dying to self. It's going to mean surrendering things that don't matter. Certainly we don't want you to compromise doctrine or biblical convictions. But there are some things that, being honest, they're more of a preference than they are a conviction. And we need to lay down our preferences. We need to support one another. We need to work together. We need to kind of be the wind behind people's backs instead of a headwind. And uh, we need to help them out because just like someday when the curse has lifted the, har the universe once again will sing in harmony, the church ought to be a reflection of that here on earth in the midst of a chaotic noisy, messed up, can't figure it out world. We're to be different. We're not to be a reflection of them. We are to be that thing that they have always longed for but can't attain. And then we have the opportunity to tell them how to attain it. And it's not through works. It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one way into the family, one way into the kingdom. And we'll be talking about that this next Sunday in Sunday school as we begin to look at the Beatitudes because it says blessed which means happy or to be envied are the poor in spirit for theirs and theirs only is the kingdom of God that's where it all starts or it doesn't for us and we get the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and about his grace and his mercy about sin and God's wrath and anger toward that sin and how he poured the anger for sin on Jesus Christ and we receive that payment by grace through faith and serve a risen Savior and bow to him as Lord because we are spiritual beggars we see that and we have the opportunity to tell them that. We're not just people who happen to luck out and get it right. We're not just people who just kind of have a charmed life and we were just lucky to be born in a certain family or a certain religion or a certain place. It's mo so much more than just dumb luck. It's the grace of Almighty God. And uh, if they look and they see that the church doesn't get along much better than their family does, why would they want to come? Why would they ask us any questions? If the church doesn't get along any better than the local PTA or the union hall or something like that, then why would they be looking to us for any kind of answers? And so looking at the last few verses of Titus, John MacArthur called this the last word on relationships. And I don't disagree with that at all, but I'm going to take it from a different angle. 
And I'm going to ask you to take a look and see this is the way it ought to be among believers in our fellowship, in our interaction, but even more than that, in the way that the church functions. And here's what it says in verse 12. When I send Artemis to you, Artychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. Verse 14. And let our people, the church, so learn, you have to learn because it's not natural, so learn to, look at this, maintain good works, not be sporadic, maintain good works, and to meet urgent needs, of course, as they arise. Why? That they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then as Paul always does, he ends with grace. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, as I look at uh, these verses, some things kind of uh, stick out. Uh, Artemis, who in the world is Artemis? And let me just tell you, we don't know. You're not going to find him mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. He's just a guy that Paul and everybody else there knew, but uh, we have no idea who he is. Uh, Tychicus, well, we know him. He's mentioned several places. He was one of those who was entrusted by Paul to deliver letters to the churches. And you can find his name mentioned in like Ephesus and I believe Colossae. And uh, he was a faithful man. He was a hardworking man. He was a diligent man. He was a serious man. I mean, after all, when you're writing scripture and you are giving the original copy of that to somebody, uh, you trust them that they're not going to lose it. They're not going to misplace it. They're not going to be distracted. That's a big job to deliver eternal scripture to the churches where they were. Uh, that's Tychicus. When we... Um, Look through here um, and think about uh, Paul spending the winter at Nicopolis. That wasn't just merely out of convenience. That's because in those days, uh, there, you literally could get stuck somewhere and unable to get around because of winter conditions. And it was better just to wait it out. And uh, boy, that would be a hard thing to do. Uh, we're not used to that. And he says, uh, send Zenos, Zenos the lawyer. Uh, uh, nomadikos, uh, uh, one who is an expert in the law. You know, there are two things we could think about this guy that we don't really know. Um, what kind of law? Well, if it was Jewish law, it could be that Zenos uh, was a converted rabbi, one who was an expert in the law, a scribe maybe, and uh, he was in the church, and that's how he was identified. Uh, or it could be, and probably was, that it just meant he, his profession, he was a lawyer. Um, I think this is the only time a lawyer is mentioned like that in the Bible. Um, so, sorry, Eddie. And uh, then you find Apollos. You know, we know Apollos, right? He's the guy that was uh, mighty in the scriptures. And in the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila, they discipled him and instructed him in the way of the Lord. And he became a mighty servant of God. Paul even mentioned him when uh, they were talking about uh, evangelism in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said that some plant and some water and some uh, harvest. And it's God that gives the increase, right? And remember, he mentioned Apollos in there. Uh, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Uh, Apollos was such a uh, popular figure that even the church at Corinth, they were dividing. Some said, I'm of Paul, and some said, I'm of Apollos. Well, Paul and Apollos weren't sinning about that. The church was sinning about it because they were making a bigger deal about their favorite preacher than ought to be made because it's really not about the preacher. It's about Jesus and Jesus working in his church. So there are just some things that you kind of find in there, some people. Um, I also noticed, too, that uh, all of this is happening here without a vote of the church. Paul didn't say, 
if the church is pleased to do this, Titus, you come to where I am and we'll send someone else to pastor. Can you imagine doing that in a Baptist church? And uh, somebody saying, you know, here, uh, you come over here and serve and we'll send somebody else over here. We're way too autonomous for that. And uh, as we think about those kind of things, what if you got somebody you didn't like? What if, what if the church here in Crete is going, but we like Titus? Why are you taking him from us? And maybe there was some rumbling, but we don't know anything about that. And it's interesting that Paul, writing these things, he doesn't seem to anticipate any. Kind of having the same problem everybody is with coughing and all that kind of stuff. Um, he doesn't anticipate any problems. And, and notice here too that as he tells people to go different places and do different things, he doesn't anticipate any problems from the people either. After all, we're all workers in God's field, aren't we? And we're supposed to be working together. Uh, I remember one time there was a lady that uh, said that she really didn't like teaching Sunday school, but she told the nominating committee... Some of you know what that is. But I'll do it if no one else will. So the nominating committee took her serious. And they said, you know, she really doesn't want to do this. Let's find somebody else. And they found somebody else to do it. Oh, my goodness. Talk about all hell breaking loose over all of that. It was a lie. Because people don't like to be told what to do or assigned to different things. I don't really care for it, and you probably don't either. And I'm sure the people in Crete were not any different than we were. They would rather be doing what they wanted to do and doing it in the way that they wanted to do it. And so, uh, you know, that's what you would expect. But notice here, Paul did not expect any Backlash. He did not expect any resistance. In other words, he didn't expect any grinding gears when he said, you go here, you go here, you go there, you go there, and all of that. There was just a, a harmony in here because it seems to me that Paul's expectation and the expectation of the church was simply that if it's the will of God, everybody's going to be in favor of it. If it's the will of God, who wouldn't want to do the will of God? Maybe it's not the will of God, for me to pastor here, or maybe it is. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It's the will of God. Maybe it's the will of God for you to be a deacon. Maybe it's the will of God for you not to be a deacon. Doesn't matter. Nobody ought to get their feelings hurt or anything like that because the will of God is all that matters. Maybe it's the will of God for you to work in a certain ministry. Maybe it's the will of God for you not to be in that ministry. Doesn't matter as long as the will of God is being fulfilled. And how different would it be if we all had that attitude, dying to self, self-denial, taking up our cross, being a living sacrifice, submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, so that we never got our feelings hurt, we never were criticizing other people, well, why are they in charge of that? They're incompetent. Well, they may be. But when it comes right down to it, all of us are incompetent because apart from Jesus, he said we can do nothing. And so it's just a matter of God putting the incompetent people wherever he wants them to be and we're all incompetent to one degree or another and we're only competent as we surrender to Jesus Christ. Well, why can't God use them instead of using the person that you like? And what if... Instead of criticizing that person that seemed to be inadequate, what if you were helping them? What if you were praying for them? What if you were sincerely wanting them to function at their best? Would it not make a tremendous difference in the way ministry works? And this is what I see about Paul. With the apostle, there was absolutely no uh, sense here that now be careful when you know so and so comes here a lot of people are not going to like it so there was nothing like that at all the idea was we're all going to be in harmony because there's only one king there's only one head there's only one person who's in charge of the church and it's not any of us it is the will of God and if the will of God is being fulfilled then everybody's happy because that's really what our goal is for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever it's your name that is supposed to be hallowed 
And sometimes we're so busy lifting up the name of someone we love or lifting up the name of the church or something like that, we forget that it's really about lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that being said, notice here that the way it ought to be, no competition in the work of God. You know, in the psalmist, the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Well, who signs up for that? But the psalmist understood just to be involved in the work of God. It doesn't matter whether it is a glamorous work or whether it is a behind-the-scenes doing the dirty work or something. It doesn't matter. None of us deserve anything of what we get to do in the kingdom of God. So just use your spiritual gift. And if you look and you say, well, I don't find any place for me to serve, well, then do what you can and uh, do it for the glory of God. If you find a piece of paper laying on the floor, don't say, well, we pay somebody to pick that up. Just pick it up. If there's something that you feel like needs to be done in the church, make yourself available for it. And uh, if it's something, uh, it may be something that the leaders go, well, we never thought of that. That's a great idea. It may be something to where it said, you know, maybe not now, but maybe in the future. Then just be ready for it when the door opens and the time comes. And in the meantime, do whatever you can to be a contributor. And don't get caught up into who's doing what and why and how come they get to do this, how come the door... Maybe Titus is not ready to step down from being the pastor of this church. And Paul says, I need you. And Titus is ready to go. Maybe the guy that um, Paul is going to send, Artemis, maybe he's not the most dynamic. Maybe he's not funny. Maybe he can't really tell a joke and pull off the punchline. Maybe he's not the most intellectual or the most insightful into everything that might happen. But you get the uh, idea here that Paul would ju just tell people, does that really matter or are we really a family? Are we really a body? One of the things that I've noticed about uh, <clears throat> all of you uh, grandparents who are just over the moon about your grandkids, man, I can't figure you guys out because I'm very guarded about all of that and very realistic about mine. You know, when uh, they give grandmama a picture that they colored, we don't get together and critique it. We got some pictures on our refrigerator now and they're hung there like masterpieces. Now can you imagine if uh, Maverick is visiting us and by the way he is by his own words an artist and he was very impressed when granny gave him supplies to go. How did she know I'm an artist is what he said. So he's an artist. Okay? And so when he cuts out something or draws something and it's put up on the refrigerator what do we do? Well, we all gather around it and we go, Maverick, that's the wrong color and that line is not very good. That doesn't even look like a tree. And, uh, yeah, rip it off and tear it down. Let's go find somebody who can actually make a tree to put on a refrigerator. Would we ever do that? Not in a million years. You know what we say? Boy, you're doing a good job. Man, you are really getting good at all of this. Keep working at it, son. You're going to be... Uh, somebody, you're going to be able to do some special things as time goes by if you keep working. And we build him up. And we, what if you did that for a Sunday school teacher? Lord knows you can always find the, critical, the criticisms. They went too long. They don't explain enough. You know, all of that kind of stuff. What if we looked at them like this is a work in progress? This is a not fully sanctified man or woman of God but they're fulfilling the role that God gave them. And what if we were the ones to encourage them? Wow, you had some really good insight on that verse, something I've never thought of before. What if we were to pray for them, to say, Lord, I know they're not everything that they ought to be, but neither am I. We're all growing, we're all learning, and show me how I can minister how I can pray, how I can serve to maybe make up for some of those deficiencies and help them and encourage them so that by the time you take me out of here, that teacher is a legend in Graceway Baptist Church. Because, you know, everybody can think of the legendary teacher. That's the way it ought to be. Do you realize they weren't always like that? That one day they were like riding a tricycle into Sunday school class? 
that their Bible study was almost like, see, dig, run. Everybody has to start somewhere, don't they? And I'm so thankful that when I first started into the ministry, I was in a church that made me feel like I should have been at First Southern Dale City. I was in a church where people would come up and we would do a Christmas musical with our little choir and they made me feel like I ought to be conducting the London Philharmonic. You know what that did for me? It pushed me. It encouraged me. There is plenty wrong with it. But they seem to see the good. They seem to see the potential. They seem to want to try to help. How can I get involved? In our church running a hundred something, we had a 44 voice choir the last musical I did there. We had more people on Sunday night than we did on Sunday morning. And I was so proud of that. We did so well. In fact, I had a tape that somebody had recorded of our choir singing. I had it playing in my car when another minister of music at a much bigger church got in. And he was asking about that recording if that was a commercial Recording and no, it was just somebody with a microphone and a cassette recorder. Man, I was proud of that. And at that particular time in life, if any opportunity would have opened up for me, do you think I would have been hesitant or do you think I would have been excited about taking another step? Well, I was excited because those first churches, and you remember this for the rest of your life. Those first churches where a pastor or a staff member serves can either make or break you. I have a friend from high school, Vernon Cooper is his name, and I remember he surrendered to the ministry. And he got persecution from his own father. You'll never make any money. We didn't pay for your education for you to go into the ministry, that kind of thing. Boy, that discouraged him. But he pressed on. And then he went to a little church up around Grand Lake. And before long, that church had a business meeting. In front of his wife and his children, he was publicly berated for incompetence. Well, it was his first pastorate after all. What do you expect? They voted him out. Said the parsonage has to be vacated within 30 days. That was their grace. You got 30 days to get out. We could do it immediately. And the pulpit was declared vacated immediately. What do you think that guy's going to do with the rest of his life in ministry? Now we can all say what he ought to do. But he's not in the ministry today. He's doing something else. Why? Because those first churches can make or break you. Now plug that in here to the book of Titus. Paul is saying, bring Artemis in. Well, who in the world is Artemis? I don't know. And maybe the people in Titus, in, in Crete, I mean, went, who's that? Who's that? We got a famous preacher. Who's this guy? What's he going to do? And maybe he wasn't all that competent. Maybe he wasn't their favorite. Maybe he didn't have much personality. Maybe, 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 maybe. But it was Paul's expectation to say this. What does that matter? It's the will of God. And if all of us had the mindset that it doesn't matter as long as it's the will of God, that would change everything. Because in ministry, we would get behind people, not in front of them. And it also means in our personal life, you're going to go through some storms. You're going to have God assign you to some unpleasant assignments, I say. Maybe in your own family, maybe with your kids, maybe with your grandkids, maybe with, I don't know, maybe on the job, whatever. And you know what you would do if you were like these people and like Paul expected? You would say, it doesn't matter if I'm in a storm or the sunshine as long as I'm in the will of God. And that changes everything. Because there shouldn't be any competition in the work of God. It doesn't matter what we do as long as we're doing what God wants to do, wants us to do in the way that He wants us to do it. Big or small, public or private, it doesn't matter. All of us involved in that. That was the first thing that I saw. Boy, how would that change everything? Secondly, notice this it doesn't matter 
Well, no, it's actually not second. Just a summary. Who is known or unknown or who does what, right? You have to keep that in mind. You don't get to choose that. It chooses you. You don't get to be the one who orchestrates all of that. All of that is orchestrated for you by the Lord. Which brings us to number two. There's no competitors in the resources of God. Okay? And Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey, send them on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. Okay? Well, why do they lack nothing when maybe I lack something? I heard about a person in a business meeting years ago that when the, uh, they devoted to send $200 to some missionaries, that there was a deacon who said, well, if somebody would give me $200, they're going to be living better than I live. If it's the will of God, what does it matter? You see, when you think about things like this, it makes you become territorial. It makes you hold on to things instead of being generous with things. Why should Zenos the lawyer get something that maybe a person in uh, Crete needed? Why, why should it be that not only Zenos but Apollos? I mean, everybody knows him. Doesn't he give enough money? Doesn't he get the big love offerings? Why should we give our resources to help them? And that's one of the things I've always been so grateful about Graceway. Whenever we have somebody in, it doesn't matter if the person we have in is a billionaire or whether they're struggling to find out how they're going to get enough gas to get their, their next meeting. We treat them right. We build them up. We encourage them. We want to be the wind at their back. And we want to try to help them to prosper because other churches may not do that. And you know why that happens? Because you are willing to give what God has given to you that you could use and you're willing to give it to someone else knowing that you can't outgive God. And that's what's going on here at Crete. Give these people some? Well, don't they have enough? Why should I give something to them? Well, they may live better than I live. It seems like Paul had absolutely zero expectation of something like that happening. Make sure they leave with haste and make sure that they lack nothing. You know, when we bring in people here, we never know what kind of meeting they had last week. Ed Lacey may be going through hell sideways right now. He may have all kinds of opposition. He may be sleeping on a bed with bed bugs in some flea-bitten motel. He may have inadequate food. He may have people that are contending with him and arguing with him and all of that kind of stuff. And it may be that when he closes out uh, his meeting this week, it may be that when he leaves, he says, Oh, Lord, thank you for getting me out of that place. You never know. And we are expecting him to come here to be happy, joyful, healthy, filled with the Spirit, on fire for God. You know what? We may have to help him a little bit with some of that. It may be that we are the oasis in the midst of a desert. The next church may be worse than the one he just came from. But at least we can make sure that he's happy, that he's well fed, that he gets a good love offering, that he sleeps in a good bed in a good hotel, that he gets treated like a king because he's a man of God and we are the one that helps him. And it may be, who knows? Sometimes evangelists like that struggle when they're in a bad meeting like maybe I'm in the wrong place doing the wrong thing and I should just take a church. And they come to a church like Graceway and you're happy and you greet them and you talk to them and you're interested in what they do and you listen to them as they preach. You respond to them as they preach. You give when the love offering is there. You gather around them and you pray. And it may be that when he leaves here, he said, okay, Lord, I'll keep on. I'll keep on. You see, when you function in harmony, you understand here that there's no com competitors for the resources of God. Whatever ministry it is, whatever it is, whatever we think, we understand we want to give our very best and we want to support the people of God. Send them on with haste that they may lack nothing. Comfortable, adequate, ready to go. Knowing that they can make whatever trip they're on, that Apollos and Zenos go, we're okay, we're going to get there, all of our needs are met. And the church has the satisfaction of knowing that we did that and God is going to bless us for that. And then I think about how the Bible uh, teaches us here that this is kind of the way that we're supposed to look at things. Lacking nothing means to be generous because everything belongs to God. 
And if everything belongs to God and we're really stewards of it, then it means whatever the need arises, God just simply says, take some of my money out of your wallet and put it in the blessing bucket. Put it in the offering plate. Or give it privately to that person. Whatever it is that you need to do. Because you understand that you own nothing. You're simply a manager of the things of God. Well that seems to be what Paul's expectation was. Paul you know that that's probably not going to happen. Paul said why shouldn't it happen? We're believers aren't we? This is the will of God. What are you talking about? Of course it's going to happen. Because that's the way it ought to be. Number three. Notice that there's no competition in the harvest of God. Let our people learn to, notice, maintain good works. In other words, good works are not supposed to be the exception. They're to be the rule that just happens. And then he said also, and to meet urgent needs. And he says, for the reason that they may not be unfruitful. Paul seems to be saying that if we were involved in other people's lives, if we were involved in our community, if we were involved in making sure that needs were met, and we did it as a constant thing, not a weird thing, not an unusual thing, not just when tornadoes come through, but all the time we're doing this, and certainly we step it up whenever there are urgent needs, but it's an all-the-time type thing. And notice he said that they may not be unfruitful. You ever feel unfruitful? Then get involved. Minister to somebody. Do good works. Volunteer somewhere. Help somebody. Do it officially. Do it unofficially. Doesn't matter. Just make sure that it's a normal pattern of your life. And then when the urgent things come in, then of course get involved and step it up. That is supposed to be the normal character of life. God never called us just to gather in these walls and then walk away doing nothing. This is supposed to be a good work organization. Not to get saved, but because we are saved. Good works, as we said a couple of weeks ago, for one another and also for the outsiders. And Paul seems to have in mind that they may not be unfruitful. That people are getting saved and people are growing in the Lord. Why? Because they were witnessing they were sharing Christ. And how were they sharing Christ? By feeding hungry people. By clothing people who were, had inadequate clothing. By ministering to people who were hurting and grieving. Those kind of things. And Paul seemed to say that as God's people do good works, it opens up doors for us to witness. And one of the things we know, the more we witness, the more opportunities we're going to have to see people saved. The less we witness, the less we're going to have uh, the opportunity to see people saved. And so good works are a vehicle to share the gospel. But you've got to remember too, God did not call us all to be harvesters. Some of us are planters. Some of us are waterers. Some of us are harvesters. But remember what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinth, so then he that plants is nothing. He that waters is nothing. But it's God who gives the increase. And you know what? Maybe you didn't lead somebody to the Lord, but you planted the seed. You have every reason to rejoice in the harvest. Maybe you didn't plant a seed or harvest, but you got to water. You got every reason to expect to be rewarded by God. Just be faithful to do that. And how do you do it? I don't know. Sometimes it's by mowing somebody's grass and they didn't expect you to mow it. Sometimes it may be by giving somebody a bottle of water that they didn't expect to get. Sometimes it may be by showing up at a hospital for somebody in the neighborhood and they don't even really know you and you bothered to show up at ICU and bring them a basket with some snacks that they're going to need. I mean, all kinds of things. Sending flowers to somebody. Sending a card of encouragement to somebody. And you can go on and on and on and on and on. And Paul's expectation is that that would be the norm not the exception that would be what the majority not the minority does that would be something that would be in addition to the urgent needs and that would all be for the sake of the gospel so we would not be unfruitful in the work of the Lord this is a harvest thing it doesn't matter who's doing what and it doesn't matter how much praise somebody gets or how much effectiveness someone seems to have just do the will of God just do what God's gifted you to do. Just do what God has given you the opportunity to do. And don't compare it with other people. So we've got to maintain good works, not just do the urgent things that come up. And maintain means we find help and we become fruitful in all of that. Number four, notice that there's no, competition, no competitors pardon me, in the grace of God. 
And when we think about the grace of God, Paul always ends with grace. All who are uh, with me, why are they with him? Because of the grace of God. And they greet you. Greet those who love us. Why would anybody love Paul and love his mission team? Because of the grace of God. Why would anybody be in the faith? Because of the grace of God. And then he just can't help it. And he says, grace be with you all. Just everybody showered and covered in grace. And then he says, amen. And amen is just a way of saying, so be it. That's what God wants. Do you have anybody in the church that you really don't want God to bless? Well, nobody would ever say that. Let me tell you how you know whether you got that in you or not. They drive up in a brand new car and then they tell you, yeah, I got a raise and a bonus and I was able to pay cash for this car. How do you feel about that? I can tell you whether you're a grace-filled person or not. A grace-filled person says, hallelujah, thank the Lord, that is awesome. A carnal person says, why didn't that happen to me? Wish I had that and you had a flat tire. Or they get their new car and it breaks down in the parking lot of the church and they have to call the tow company during Sunday school and you're kind of thinking in the back of your mind, yeah, I guess God didn't bless them that much after all. You, know, you can tell. You can tell. Paul said, I don't really care. I may be in prison. You're not. Grace to you anyway. I may be eating a meager diet. You may be feasting like a king. Grace to you anyway. I may be having to leave my home, leaving family and traveling and being a shipwreck. And you may be sitting in a castle somewhere. Grace to you anyway. That's the way Paul thought. And that's the way we ought to be thinking. Grace to you and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times did Paul say that? Where our true wishes for other people in the church, not for misfortune, not for bad things to happen, not for them to get what they deserve, but grace to you. And while you're at it, have a slice of peace pie while you're enjoying it. That's what I want for you. That's what we want for one another. That's really the way it ought to be. Because you see here, Paul, an Orthodox Jew, is working with a bunch of Gentiles. Resources are shared. Personnel are received and loved as fellow servants. Jobs are done simply for God's glory. Good works are done as a regular course of life. There's joy, there's harmony, and there's fruitfulness. It's called submission. It's called unity. It's called being under the lordship of Christ. As long as God is pleased and the Lord is praised and the witness of Christ is going out and people's needs are being met, who cares? We just do what we're supposed to do. But I want you to listen very carefully. When this doesn't happen, it's called Corinth. Now you got a choice to make. You're going to be a believer in Crete, or you're going to be a believer in Corinth. You're going to be a church that's commended, or you're going to be a church that's rebuked. You got the choice. And churches don't make that choice as a big group, they make it as a group of individual believers, members of the body. What will you be? What will you do? You're going to function and say, well, this is just the way it is, we're just all human. Are you going to look and say, how would God want it to be? How can I function in harmony? And as long as I'm in the will of God, doing the will of God the way God wants it done for the glory of Jesus Christ, what does it matter? What does it matter? And if somebody else is called in to do something, we're going to be the wind behind their back, helping them to grow, not criticizing them because they're not meeting our needs or they're not like somebody else. Think about all of that. You can be Corinth or you can be Crete. And what this means is that all ministries work in harmony. They're not competing. All ministries work for the glory of God and the betterment of the church. We're lifting up one another. We're not a bunch of individual ministries. The youth ministry is not the youth ministry. It's our church's ministry to students. Right? It's not the nursery ministry. It's our church's ministry to preschoolers. It's not just senior adults. It's our church's ministry to senior adults. And on and on we could go. 
And we want everybody to do well, every group to do well, every class to do well, every person to be reached and served and all of that. And we do it. We don't say, that's not my ministry or I don't have any kids in that group. Why do I care? No, it's our church's ministry. It's for the glory of God. And all ministries support one another. When you're doing well, I'm doing well. When I'm doing well, you're doing well. Let's all work together. A rising tide lifts all the boats. We want all the boats to rise. And the various ministries um, are our ministries, but not in a territorial sense, just in a sense we all own it and we're all together in it. And if we see a deficiency, we try to help it out, not just point it out or isolate from it. There's an illustration that if you've been through my premarital counseling, I like to use and it's next up here. Notice here, you know, husbands and wives say, we just want to be close. But if you think of life like a triangle, and you see the husband and the wife down there at the bottom point, if they try to get close to each other, they're like two freight trains coming together. There's going to be a collision. What's the answer? Well, you see, if you put God at the top, and if the wife is seeking to be close to God, and the husband is seeking to be close to God, notice what happens as they move up the triangle. They get closer to God, and they get closer to one another. And the only way to have harmony in the church is not to force harmony. That's like grinding gears. I'm going to force you to go into second gear, whether you like it or not. That's friction, tension, noise, and all of that. But when there is submission to the Lord, when everybody says, I just want to be right with God. I just want to be doing what God wants me to do. I just want to help wherever I can. I want to maintain good works. And all of these things that Paul was talking about, you know what happens as we get closer to the Lord? We get closer to one another. We get closer to one another. Without friction, but in harmony. Accepting other, one another in your various degrees of sanctification, whatever generation you may be in, whatever it might be, just working together for the glory of God because we're getting closer to Him and closer to one another. And, well, it's January the 5th, 2020. <clears throat> and that's the way it ought to be. And all God's people said, Amen. But I can't make it happen. Brother Dale can't make it happen. This is something you have to personally look to the Lord. And it's got to happen in your life for it to be effective for the group. This is not a poof. It's all done. This is you dying to self, surrendering to the Lord, and putting these principles into operation. As long as God is glorified, as long as I am in His will, doing things His way by His power, then nothing else really matters. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. How do you respond to that? Amen. So be it. So be it. Would you pray with me? Father, that's what my desire would be for Graceway for 2020. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing before we go. Is there anything?